0: Hello and welcome to the Meningitis Foundation New Zealand podcast, providing you with information about meningitis and septicemia and the diseases that cause them pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. Today, we have Jamie Martin on the line from Austin, Texas. Now, Jamie is a meningitis survivor, an amputee, a Paralympian and a global advocate for meningitis awareness. And as Jamie was fighting her battle with meningococcal meningitis, and while still in hospital recovering from multiple operations and rehabilitating, her mother set up the Jamie Group and started advocating for the meningococcal vaccine to be funded and made available to all university students in Texas. Jamie's mum, Patsy Shunbaum, influenced a bill to be passed, legislating for all students to be immunised against meningococcal and protected from this devastating disease. Since her diagnosis, Jamie has taken on a role as a global champion for meningitis awareness and protection, actively advocating for vaccines and with with the aim to rid the world of meningitis. Both Jamie and her mum are absolutely inspiring individuals. I've had the pleasure of meeting both Jamie and Patsy at a global meningitis conference and have stayed in touch with them both through the work of our two organisations. Jamie joins us today to provide a very different perspective on meningitis, of someone who's been profoundly affected, but who travels the world to advocate for change. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us by phone today, and welcome.
1: Of course, thank you.
0: Jamie, like so many people that we've spoken to that experience meningitis or have lost a family member to the disease, you are a young, healthy teenager or early 20s when this disease struck. Can you tell us a little bit about that stage in your life?
1: Yes. When I got sick with meningitis, I was a healthy um, new 20-year-old and I was fine one day and got sick within 24 hours. And that's the thing about meningitis it's you can unfortunately die within 24 to 48 hours. And I was sick within 14 hours from totally fine to being admitted into the hospital where I am shivering down to my bones and I couldn't retain any warmth. And the doctor told my sister that my mom needed to be here. And so she so she left and then came back and visited me and realized how scary of a situation meningitis was.
0: Now you were at university at that stage, weren't you? You were first year or second first year or second year of your university studies?
1: It was my second year at college, but it was my first time at the university. My dream university that I wanted to go to. It's called the University of Texas at Austin. And I worked really hard to get there and I couldn't even enjoy a full semester without contracting the disease. And I yeah, it was very scary. Um The first day I was put on dialysis, and then the next day, the ventilator. And the thing is, it's so commonly misdiagnosed. And luckily, there was a nurse there that guessed I had meningitis. And because of that person, and because of the time of when I got in there, I got very lucky. I survived. One out of 10 that get meningitis will die, and one out of five will have long-term consequences like myself, where my leg became amputated eventually. I was in the hospital for about seven months and afterwards I lost all of my fingers and both of my legs below the knee due to this disease. So yeah, it was definitely devastating and easy to say, but the way she saw me, it was very difficult to see and to, there was a lot of pain involved every day. So mm-hmm. it was, it was difficult.
0: And you endured a number of operations in that time as the disease continued to advance through your body. In in the end, how many operations do you recall?
1: I have no idea. I think um, I was definitely having bedside wound care every day, but sometimes the pain was so much that they would have to put me in surgery, and that was happening at least once a week. And then I had my amputations, and that was a very difficult operation. I mean, the operation I'm sure was fine, but waking up from it was very difficult. And then my wound care. Was very painful after that because I had their wounds all over me and they had to heal. And there were deep, 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 deep wounds. So it was very difficult.
0: You've had both legs amputated and you've lost all your fingers as well. Were there any other and um, You mentioned there were other wounds as well. Were there other scarring on your body?
1: Yes, there is uh, scarring all the way up to my buttocks. <laughs> And then all over my arms, I have uh, surgery scars on my stomach, which were, I had a lumbar septectomy, which is where they cut a nerving in your back, but it's a big scar on your stomach to get to that cord. I think it's in your spine. And then two feet scars and other random little scars. But yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: So you had to wait for all of that to heal before you could be fitted with any prosthetic legs. Correct. Can you tell us about that experience of having to learn to walk again and what that's meant to you?
1: Yes. Learning to walk uh, was, uh, I think I was definitely ready for it, to for me to move out of a wheelchair to standing up and walking. But... um I don't know. I think the physical therapy of it all was very difficult, but it's not impossible. I mean, I definitely reached goals, but there were definitely times where I struggled emotionally. You know, I still don't know which one was more difficult the emotional battle or the physical battle. Let me tell you, the physical battle was very hard. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a lot, but um, it took about three months for me to get my legs on and to do what I need to do. And, I'm able to to do a lot you know within time, I think whenever people become impaired, I think we become really nervous and really cautious and are curious about what we can and can't do, or maybe you are frustrated and don't want to attempt it but um, I did attempt a couple of different things I wasn't comfortable with, like walking, of course was the first one um driving a car, <laughs> but um yeah, I drive every day, and I have no. Uh, medical attachments that make it easier for me. I just drive like everybody else. And there are other things like, um, I I wanted a dog. I know that sounds silly, but um, if you're on basically stilts for legs and you have to walk a dog, I was worried about the balance and if my dog would pull me. And anyways, I learned to do that and it was fine and she still hasn't pulled me to the ground I pull her <laughs> <laughs> but um you know there's just a lot of little things that I think that were challenging at first
0: you've not just been content with learning how to walk and drive a car you've also gone on to cycle for the U.S. Paralympic team can you tell us how you got into cycling and and where that's taken you Yes, I think, you know, I'm very lucky
1: and I think I just met the right people at the right time and I said yes to a lot of great opportunities because why wouldn't you? Um, I it all started with my occupational therapist. He happened to be a paralympic cycling uh cyclist and once upon a time and he saw me and saw that I could possibly do that too. And he introduced me to a coach. And we trained, and then we got on a bike, and it was very dad-like. What I mean like that, is like uh, your your parent guiding their child on the first time on their bike ride, <laughs> where like I'm, I'm, you know, on the bike, he's holding the bike, running
0: along next he pushes to, pushes the
1: bike, <laughs> and then he releases me, and then he like runs with me, and then like catches me, um, at the very end when I'm done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Funny. But yeah, that's it worked, and it took a while to learn how to start and stop on my own. Yeah, you know, I, as I think about it, because um, right afterwards, a couple of weeks later, I was in the challenge. I think someone was there pushing me because literally pushing me to start holding my bike. I think I just wasn't ready for it, but they, but I knew I could do the endurance part of it. We were just nervous and cautious about, or I was nervous and they were cautious about how to start and stop. But yeah.
0: It's a combination, isn't it, of that physical strength and the mental strength, which you've obviously shown.
1: Yeah. But within time, I um, I, I met lot of people. I was at another event and there was a guy there asking me, he was talking to me and I didn't even realize that he was a U.S. Paralympic cycling coach. And he was wondering about me and my bike and asking me, you know, the small talk of cyclist questions. And he was like, you know, there's a road national championship for cyclists if you want to come. And I said, yes, competed and won in my division. And then I think it kind of sparked within him and maybe even myself, but I didn't really know how to, I never really had dreams of becoming a Paralympic, like a Paralympian. It was more like, Someone asked me if I want to be a part of it. And I said, yes. Yeah. So after that race, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing afterwards. I mean, of course, I was still on my bike, but I didn't know who to talk to or what this could mean later. And then he called me again and asked me if I want to be on the U.S. Paralympic cycling team. And I said, yes, yeah. And competed and trained with the team and was in the Parapan American Games in 2011 which is really crazy. So, Congratulations. We all had, oh, thank you. And we all had uh, red, white, and blue outfits, Nike sponsorships. Um, but it was really, it was, uh, I still can't believe that happened. You know, I'm still like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, not only were they able to come out of it, but to, you know, really do something out of it. So,
0: And so you use these experiences to help educate and motivate and inspire other people too, by the sounds of it. Yes, definitely. Um,
1: when it comes to other people, I definitely met other people who are, you know, worth an average scenario where someone comes up to me and like my son, he lost his leg. And he's had a prosthetic for a year now. And he doesn't get out of bed. He refuses to identify with the prosthetic. I mean, I get that. I think the only reason why I uh, got lucky in my mental state of motivation and just to roll with the punches was I think I've always done that my whole life. Um, you know, my, my, like, my father died when I was super young. Like I was three months old. I didn't really know him. But, and then I got to see my mother really champion herself as a mother to raise four kids on her own. And we all kind of had to grow up and take a lot of responsibility. And I think because of that, I really learned to become an independent person and kind of just roll with the punches. And I think because of that, I was able to come out of it, motivated, feel inspired to go out and maybe speak. But I also understand that people don't get that lucky Mm -hmm. and might sit in a room and don't want to walk. I get it. I mean, people have bad days. I'm not perfect. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Recently, um, like uh, five months ago, I was going through a three-month situation where my legs were really hurting. And the only way to heal your legs from blisters or wounds or pain is to not walk and to not have your legs on. And I was doing that for three months. And it really got to me. But I'm only saying that to prove that I'm human and I'm not perfect. And I understand that it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But what I think makes it a difference is just pulling it from yourself and realize I need to fix this. Yeah. And I hope that people do, if they are listening, I hope that they make a decision sooner than later to you know get yourself out of bed. Do something different. Do those goals that you want to do and you know, take yourself or to you take accountability. So it it means easier said than done.
0: Now you've also talked about your mum, Patsy, and she really is a force to be reckoned with. While you were in hospital, she took it upon herself to influence a change to the law in Texas, ensuring that university students were vaccinated against the disease. Can you tell us about the Jamie group and tell us a little bit more about this wonderful woman? Yeah,
1: so when we were in the hospital, i got um, we got we were introduced to a company called the, this is called immunization partnership, and they met me because I think they were meeting me and my mom in the hospital. I never met these people before. I was like, "Who are these people?" And they're talking to me like, "Like I've known them for so long." And I was just like, "Who? What's going on?" And um and I think that they, at that time, a law tried to get past a couple other times and it failed. And I I think they wanted to meet us to see if maybe we would get involved. And of course, my mom said yes and. And she is, has a good friend in the Capitol, and I think she got some good and firm insight on what she should and what she can do. And she, I don't know, she just met everybody and knocked on all the doors, and the law was passed very quickly and overnight. And it was really cool. I mean, it's unfortunate that a tragedy is what gets a law in place versus like someone who was smart and trying to actually do something that is great for you, and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Because if that law was passed, uh, this might not have been happened to me.
0: And have other U.S. states followed the lead? Have there been law changes in other states in the U.S.?
1: So at the time, um, Texas was the only state to have any sort of writing about meningitis, um, mandatory vaccination for students. So that was very new territory. But at the time right now, I think there's a couple other states that definitely have added language to it. So it's always nice to see that people are on the same page.
0: That's awesome. And together with your mom, you're changing lives around the world through your advocacy activities. It was only a few years ago, I recall, that you participated in a photo shoot with Anne Geddes. What was that for? Yeah, so
1: she pulled and met 50 survivors of meningitis around the world. And I was lucky enough to represent the U S and she took my photo and it was wonderful and beautiful. And she got to present all of these photos around the world. So that was the first time we were going global, <laughs> as they say, but yeah, it was, she's wonderful. Her husband, Cal is wonderful. Her daughter, Stephanie is wonderful. And her the crew was wonderful and made me feel very comfortable and they're very pretty. And, Again, I'm pretty humble, and they're, you know, they're telling me they wanted me to be the the Helen of Troy. Is that who it is? Yes. Yeah. Um, it was like a stunning show, I remember. Yeah. And uh, that was very sweet, <laughs> and I felt like in some ways I didn't deserve it, but I was also like, "This is awesome. I'll take every moment." <laughs> um, but it was great and wonderful, and then we were lucky enough to do another photo shoot. A couple years after that where they she took meningitis survivors who were Paralympians because this is for 2016 um, when the Olympics were going on and took photos with babies this time <laughs> and at that time that was like my first time holding a newborn <laughs> so and it was very cute and very precious and That was the photo that was displayed in Times Square.
0: Beautiful. Now, in your role as a global advocate for meningitis, can you tell us a little bit about who you work with and what type of activities you're involved in to help rid the world of meningitis?
1: Um, So, yes, there's definitely the Confederation of Meningitis Organization. And I got introduced to the organization back in 2009, I think, Maybe my mom was definitely in 2009. I met everybody in 2010. And it was great just to meet other families and other survivors and just to get our voices out there. And especially on April 24th, World Meningitis Day, that's a time for us to shine and make sure that everybody has a chance to hear about what meningitis is and to get educated. And of course, the goal is for everyone to talk to their doctor. Go have an appointment. Yep. Go ask about the two different vaccines that work together to protect against the five different groups of meningitis. So, you know, it's it's been great. I'm very humbled by it.
0: And you must meet so many amazing people, survivors and families who share a common experience with meningitis. How does that impact you and motivate you or inspire you to keep doing what you're doing?
1: Um. I definitely get more motivated when I meet families without their survivors because, and I like, I recently met Bob and Dee Dee Warner from Wisconsin, or not, I didn't recently meet them, but I met up with them in Wisconsin and got to speak at their benefits for meningitis awareness. And I got to go in their daughter's room and touch her things. And it's really powerful, those moments. And, you know, just makes you feel really lucky and, you know, makes you feel like I have a purpose and, you know, it's doing justice. So it's, you know, it's powerful and very real, very real. And I couldn't imagine not being with my family. You know, my family and I are very close and to think that there would be one less is just really bizarre Mm -hmm. and scary to think about.
0: And you've also had the opportunity recently to, to holiday in New Zealand. We were very lucky to have you meet with a small group of, of families and survivors in New Zealand. Thank you so much for the time that you spent with them. I know that you inspired them significantly um, and took time out of your holiday to, to do that, which was wonderful. We'd love to have you back in New Zealand sometime soon. Was me there? too,
1: me too. <laughs> Yeah, me too. It was wonderful, so beautiful. What a beautiful country! I'm just, I, I feel like for the past ten years I've been wanting to go,
0: and we can get into that.
1: But now I say, I can't believe I've gone. You finally I've made thought,
0: it. You've just got to come back. Yeah,
1: I will. Chris and I are trying to make it every ten years. I think we want to go at least minimally. <laughs> so yeah, we'll definitely be back.
0: Brilliant. Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and uh, inspiring those people that are listening today. It's been wonderful to have you join us and I really thank you for taking the time out of your weekend to do so.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for not only doing this, but to share the message and spreading it all over the world. And, you know, being part of meningitis awareness, you know, it's good to have a team like like us, I think. So, you know, I thank you too.
0: Pleasure. Thanks, Jamie. Of course. Thank you. This is part of a series of podcast episodes by the Meningitis Foundation to raise awareness of meningitis, septicemia, pneumococcal disease and meningococcal disease. You can find more information about meningitis or any of the diseases on our website at www.meningitis.org.nz or head to our Facebook page, just type in the Meningitis Foundation and you should be able to find us. We look forward to having you join us for the next episode. Bye for now.